Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU football podcast. Finally, it's football time in Oklahoma. Uh, Week one is here. Arkansas State Red Wolves used to be a very bad culturally appropriative mascot, but now they're the Red Wolves. (laughs) Hooray on them and the progressive (laughs) people of Arkansas. Who are they? I, I believe they were know. like the Red Savages or something like oh, that. Oh, no, I can't remember exactly no. what it was. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> uh, what? Someone check. Pull it up. Uh, Matt, producer Let's Matt, pull out. Who were they before? Before we jump, we already jumped into it. Before we jump into it, thank you, Vanessa House. Uh, game week is here. As you fly into Norman or as you're coming into Norman to visit, stop by Vanessa House and Automobile Alley in Oklahoma City because that's probably where you're staying anyway for OU football games. Uh, check them out. They're fantastic. We know some, the cool bartenders. They support the, they support the podcast. And then after the game, when you're in Norman, go to Scratch kick, Kitchen and Cocktails to enjoy the nightlife uh, in Norman on the Main Street area. While you're there too, not a sponsor, but to help them out, go check out Human Interaction, uh, a nice little mom and pop store right there. Uh, Jacob, the owner, had a heart attack recently, and they're really struggling. Man, I won't say struggling. They're asked for help uh, to sell a bunch of stuff. It's a great place to get vintage OU stuff. Uh, I buy like vintage Western wear things there. Just go check them out. Walk them in there. They're also on Main Street in Norman as well. That's Human Interaction. Uh, OU football time's here. Every we already heard everyone's voice, but Brady. We can stop talking about OU football. We can start watching OU football. Are you excited? I'm so excited because, I mean, usually how I can tell that I start to get really excited because, you know, I always want to watch OU football. I always want to talk about it. But once you get into, like, July, you have talked about everything that you could possibly talk about. And if you have something to talk about, it usually means something bad has happened. So fortunately for us, like, nothing really, as far as we know, nothing terrible happened to the team. But usually what I do is... I find myself, oh, I'm watching the 2002 OU Iowa State game on like with shitty footage on YouTube because like I just <laughs> I want to watch something and then I'm like, man, Brandon Everidge was such a badass. Like I just start like watching stuff like that and I have just been diving through like 80s, 90s, 2000s OU games in the last few weeks. So I'm prepped up and ready to go, but um, I'm still learning guys on this roster's names because there are a lot. Apparently, there are a lot of starters or potentially to play players on this team. Like you can't fit them all on a, like a, on a little depth chart, you know, gotta, yeah. gotta throw an oar in there. 
Yeah, uh, you know, yesterday I was watching the first uh, the first Kansas State game, two thousand. Uh, <laughs> that's where I was in my life, watching a little like color squiggles. Uh, just thinking, how did people actually watch this stuff? <laughs> oh, uh, oh God, it's, it's so bad. It's yes, so it's bad. horrible. It's horrible. Alan, that's uh, the voice of Alan Kenny, the brains of the operation. Alan, are you ready for some OU football? <laughs> yes, uh, indeed, I am. You know, that used to actually be kind of my summer thing. Is there was that Fox College Sports channel that back in the day, and like I would just throw that on and just kind of leave it up there because they just replay either old old OU games, old Big Twelve games games from the year before so it was kind of cool to like actually be like oh okay like pop up and see what uh was going on but yeah i am i'm ready to go and uh you know see uh how the sooners look against the red wolves of arkansas state formerly the indians of arkansas the indians state. okay okay still still bad not as bad as they, just, just... they just landed they just <laughs> they just landed on the moon recently didn't they <laughs> I'm not for sure how well that space mission is. Uh, much better than Russia's was but, at that point oh, in time. Yeah. They they got like an unmanned satellite or thing oh, okay. up there. So con- congrats to our uh, Indian listeners out there. And then uh, Matt, the fearless producer who makes sure we all sound great, puts all the shows together. Uh, <laughs> master of the double-handed wave. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I should have done the Forrest Gump. I'm doing the Forrest Gump wave. wave. Uh, I'm doing uh, well. You, Alan stole my that? thunder there uh, with the, with the Indians, but I did go back and look. Uh, they also had an uh, entire family as their mascot, and they were all in like headdresses and traditional Native American gear. So rightfully, that got um, done in, in 2008. 2008, they stopped doing that. They also started off as the uh, whenever the school started as the farmers. They were the farmers. They were the state's only uh, agricultural school. So they were the Arkansas State farmers. And then uh, in 1925, for five years, they were the gorillas. They're the Arkansas uh, agricultural and mechanical gorillas. And I don't, I don't want to know what the logo looked like. So don't, <laughs> no, don't share absolutely the screen. Not. But I'm <laughs> doing well, man. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm finally, I'm, I'm, t- I'm excited to actually talk about actual games because I feel like I've been talking about. Yeah, I don't know. This guy might do well. He might fucking suck. I don't know. Like, it's just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. This is all funny because it's like, yeah, I'm ready to talk about actual football on next Tuesday's podcast. When we're yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you want to hear us talk about actual football a little bit sooner, you can join us on patreon.com slash keyhole. We're on Sunday. We record a game post reaction uh you know hot takes podcast it's not safe for public consumption uh as a live hit as well during live uh home games at vanessa house there'll be some presence of the keyhole uh team there in which we will tweet out who all will be there or x out or whatever it's called uh, uh who will be at the vanessa house on those sundays after the game to kind of give our live hot take reactions to everything that's happening uh on the football field but now let's walk into the show uh we, we've been talking to him a little bit Arkansas State rolls into town uh, to play the Oklahoma Sooners in Norman this weekend. Um, I, I've, heard, I've heard it's supposed to be super hot, but I'm checking the uh, the temperature, and it looks like it's topping out like around 100 degrees or so. And after last week, that is nice and cool jacket weather. Uh, but uh, Matt, uh, Brady, you guys are going to be uh, in the area in Norman. Myself, I'll be at the Choctaw Nation Labor Day Festival at Tushkahoma. 
and I'm assuming Alan didn't want to make the cross country trip for Arkansas State. Uh, <laughs> how are you guys doing to prepare yourself for a uh, uh, game one? I am. I mean, I'm trying to get into the frame of mind of like, oh yeah, there is something to be done on Saturday. Like you have to wake up early. Um, I I live in a different spot now. I live over by the airport in Oklahoma City. And so I don't know what that travel is like because I have I'm used to living either in off 235 in Oklahoma City where it's just a straight shot, so you have to get you have to get on the road early to avoid all the traffic, or living in Norman or more, where you just get off on flood and then you're right there. So I'm not really looking forward to this experience, but I wake up early anyway, so I'll get down to Norman, find some friends. I might go bug Matt at the franchise tent, and if you're yeah. you know if if you're on campus and you're just like walking around. Go to the franchise tent. It's over. Uh, is it still in front of Price? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, right by McCaslin over there. Yeah, it's McCaslin. Like where all the food trucks are. Just keep walking. You'll see the big platform stage, and uh, uh, you, we can go hang hang out with Matt. And make fun of him. Um, are you actually doing shows now, Matt? Since you're do since you host the three to six show, yes. or are you? Oh, seriously? I am. Yeah, I'm actually doing pregame stuff down there. Uh, be myself and Tyler Neal out there. So, uh, again, I'm working. So I. I get there before all the traffic starts, so I don't have to worry about that. That's good. Uh, so I'll probably be down there around like 5.30, 5.45 a.m. on Saturday. So that'll be a, a ton of fun. Shit, I might join you. <laughs> hey, come on over, man. Let's get ready. Let's get ready in style. But yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be hot, but this is what we expect. But the good thing is it's at 11, so hopefully the actual footballness is relatively done before it gets too hot and then uh, we can kind of just enjoy watching Jackson Arnold man the second unit speaking of that yeah Butch Jones rolls into town with us with these Red Wolves uh, who has not had a lot of luck against Oklahoma in the past in his previous spots at Cincinnati and Tennessee you know the famous game uh, in Knoxville not yeah yeah a Rocky Top Tennessee uh, OU coming back in the fourth quarter of Baker Mayfield uh, kind of showing off of the heroics which would you know, basically kind of outline his entire career at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, Alan, I believe the line is, well, SP Plus has a line at 35, <laughs> OU minus 35. Is that something that's realistic for this team uh, that we've seen, the 6-7 and seven team <laughs> that we've mm -hmm. seen? We think we can, uh, that is a, a bet that you would take if you had to. Like, I would never bet 35. That seems insane to me. But if that's something someone said, hey, here's $100, you have to bet it. Uh, are you betting no you to cover that 35? Uh, no chance. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't mean that. I don't mean that in, in like any way is uh, really much of a statement on the game is more just at that point, you're kind of, you know, when you're talking about 35 points, you're kind of getting into certain game flow things, you know, like how much mm -hmm. so you let off the uh, gas late in the game, if, if they're a uh, big, that type of thing. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I would not go, um, anywhere near that game. I guess if you wanted me to bet it, I'd probably take the points just because it's week one. And I mean, OU doesn't exactly have a lot of motivation to go out there and really stomp, uh, Arkansas state. Brady, you're from your perspective, what do you want to see from this OU team week one? Like Alan said, there might not be a, a, some motivation to come out and stomp them. I would almost say from a, if I'm, you know, if I was a sports writer, uh, Brent would have a bit of like a, a, a narrative uh, need to roll out and say six and sevens behind us. 
this is who we are this year. <laughs> it's an entirely different squad, and we're going to drop fifty on everyone uh, the moment we can. But I mean, what do you what do you expect from this team as they as they uh, play this game? Is it just going to be hot? And it's going to be win the game, get in, get out, or do you think OU is going to try to send some sort of message? Well, I guess Marcus Major is going to rush for one hundred and twenty yards. Is they're just going to force him to run the ball and see see guys? He's good. I promised. He's such a nice guy. Son of a bee. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hurt your ears, Alan. Um, no, I mean, this game really should be done quickly, like in terms of it being competitive. And I think we pointed it out, at least I have a handful of times about the mm-hmm. UTEP game last year. Um, I mean, OU was in control, um, but they were basically two scores ahead until the end of the third quarter. I think Dylan Gabriel took his last snap. Oh, I, I actually just wrote this on the Monday post. I think on the last going into the last drive of the third quarter against a bad UTEP team. And it's one game. It was the first game of the year. Like it's things are going to happen. But as the season went along, it became very indicative of just how the offense and the team overall was going to perform and that they could often not put, give the killing blow. Um, They go up big relatively early with big plays, not a lot of consistency. And uh, once those big plays kind of went away, the defense kind of was on the field a little bit longer and they started to get winded. The offense could would punt and punt and punt. So what I'm looking forward with this game is run the ball, show off that badass offensive line. Apparently um, that is incredibly badass. show that off. And you don't have to really do that much. You don't have to really open up the playbook by any means necessary. Just run the ball, um, get Dylan Gabriel involved running, the um, uh, using his legs just to get that out there on film, make defenses think a little bit twice uh, especially on zone read plays. So um, just in terms of the scoring a discrepancy, it should be re- um, over relatively quickly, I would hope. Um, maybe the end of the first half this time instead of the end of the third quarter. And it should just also, from a time standpoint, not be that long either, because if you're going to run whomever um, with that offensive line, then the game should just tick, 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 clock away, and um, we all have fun. So... That's what I'm hopefully looking forward to. That that would be in a game where you're not going to learn that much outside of this guy can do something. I, I'm excited about this guy or this guy has no business being out there for whatever reason. Um, in a game like this, I just want to look for control and just look like the better team and look like a badass team. And you can do that against Arkansas State, and this team should be able to do that. Yeah, I almost want to see this in – Man, I don't know. I mean, maybe you would be listening to us if you're a hardcore Arkansas State fan. Uh, but I, I, I would hope OU treats this as a glorified practice slash scrimmage stuff. Obviously, you're taking stuff serious. This is a good chance to test yourself. Uh, you know, you're going to be stressed. You're playing against guys who want to beat you. It's going to happen. But Levy's talked about playing six to seven wide receivers. The running back depth chart is topped off of Marcus Majors and Walker. Uh, two guys who I do not believe would be at the top of the depth chart, but we'll get in that later. Uh, it does seem like they're going to be rotating guys in and out to kind of get them live fire snaps to figure out, okay, who is actually where this is. And they're also kind of like, hey, we need to play this game, get into it and get out of it and be healthy for the next part of it. Some of the stuff Brent talked about in his press conference, which we'll dive in a little bit sooner, uh, really kind of maybe changed my mind a little bit about maybe how he's coaching and how he's even mentioned um, the six and seven uh, year last year and where he stands right now in regards to Billy Bowman returning punts. And he said like, hey, 
I'm not in a place, I'm not in a position not to put the best guys out there. You know, saying like I have to get every yard I can get. This isn't, I mean, um, this isn't a place where I can like try to like keep cards up my sleeve or anything of that nature. So that part is kind of interesting, but then it seems like it may be somewhat crippled by just how the depth chart is laid out in and of itself. Uh, so that's just kind of interesting at that point in time. Um, I don't think this game warrants a ton of discussion. Oh, you should win by three touchdowns plus uh, should if, if it's a close game. If it ends up being kind of like a Kent, Kent State game or a UTEP game where it's kind of weird and wonky, uh, I don't know. It's going to be it won't be rough. It'll just be strange to kind of kind of watch that stuff through. Um, while we have everyone's attention, let's just roll through our, our, our Arkansas State predictions just real quick, and then we'll roll through the rest of the stuff because we've got the depth chart coming up. Uh, I'll start us off. I think OU wins 45-17. to 17. There's uh, maybe some garbage time scores by Arkansas State, uh, so a little backdoor cover from their perspective. Uh, but OU really kind of grounds and pounds. We don't really get anything out of Dylan Gabriel or the wide receivers in any way, shape, or form, maybe 215-type passing yards, and the rest is just them pushing people around and just running the ball with Marcus and uh, Marcus Majors and Walker. Uh, Matt, how do you think the game goes, game score, game flow? Yeah, give me 42-13. I'm kind of with Alan. Like, I just – I can't get myself to get OU to cover 35. I just can't bring myself – that's just so many points, man. And, um, you know, with the – too especially with the we saw a little bit in the the navy notre dame game like that clock is going to keep running man that clock, just like the, the nfl right if you get a first down it doesn't matter like that clock is running um so i would say 42 13 about where i'm at and i'm with brady to like just run the ball run the ball establish the line of scrimmage early and often that's not it's not going to be a good uh not going to be a good defensive line from uh, Arkansas State. It's not going to be a good offensive line either. So establish both lines of scrimmage early. Allen, you're the one here who doesn't do this purely by heart and hope and desire. Uh, <laughs> what, what's, uh, what's your game prediction uh, and score prediction for this Arkansas State team in Oklahoma? Yeah, I actually see it. Uh, the, I know the total is around 60 and a half. I think it's going to be under that. Um uh, this Arkansas State team is just bad, man. Like, there's yeah. really not a lot to talk about here. Um, so, you know, I mean, I see it uh, going something along the lines of like 38 to 7 Sooners win. Oh, good. Thank you for the clarification on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, Brady, the last but not least, what's your score prediction uh, for this game? Um, and back in July, I wrote like a score by score prediction and i'm i don't really want to deviate from i mean this this game i mean once we get some games under our belt i might change mm -hmm. my scores um on the podcast but back in july i said 45 13 and that's what it should be but i mean alan i mean not to drag out this conversation um i didn't really i don't think i really said it best because i didn't really rely on stats because i was writing the post a little <laughs> little late in the day so i just wanted to get it out but um, I basically just want like if it's 45 to 13, I when the dust settles, I want to come away thinking like that was a good, solid, like routine OU victory. And the scoring came as a result of that domination, not as a result of I can remember four plays from that game and they were all 40, 50 yard big plays. And then everything else was boring. And I didn't come away thinking like this offense has kind of 
answer the consistency question from last season because the UTEP game was exactly that. It was four or five big chunk plays that ended up in touchdowns or um, kind of got the offense of the offense going to eventually score quickly right after. Because if there wasn't a big play on offense, the offense would just get the ball back um, via punt. So I, you want big plays. Like, I don't really know how to say this. That's why I'm trying to lean on you, Alan. You want big plays, of course. I'm not going to say no to those, but when the dust settles, I don't want it to. I don't want the the victory to just be as the result of they just had big plays. They had six of them, and that was it. Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean in terms of. I mean, you know, when you see OU snap off a big play, kind of like it, it, Kent State stood out to me in that in that respect last year too, because I think there was like you know one bomb to Marvin Mims that kind of opened things up, and and then. You know, like they had kind of a nice uh, swing pass to Marcus Major in the second half that, you know, gave him some separation. Um, but you know, those those kind of a lot. Sometimes those big plays in a game like this are just a matter of we've got a lot better guys than you, and they can just do stuff. You know, uh, out in space. I think I think what I what what you're getting at, what I kind of agree with, is you want to see just great execution all around. You want to see him play sharp, not just kind of uh you know throw a couple haymakers and that's good enough and we roll out of there you know i mean you want to see good flow uh crispness all that it almost sounds like you want to see complimentary elbow law complimentary i can't even say the word football (laughs) get three and out score touchdowns um yeah i think you want to see a casual dominance uh you know if i'm going to use like a sports writer term just like OE rolls in, pushes people around, is sharp, goes about their day, does their job, moves, you know, and moves the ball and scores. Uh, you know, you know, I, I know it's not it's not what you're meaning, Brady, but I do want to see big plays because that's where OU struggled with. There was an explosiveness that was not there, especially on the passing uh, variety for Oklahoma. I would love to be able to see Dylan Gabriel connect on some forty yard bombs in stride type of a thing where it's like, okay, maybe that's something that can be introduced into this year's offense that was sorely lacking from last year's offense, which put them like, I, I had Rob, uh, Rob Bauer on, uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday you would have heard him this morning. If you're a Patreon, uh, keyholer, um, and he really has talked about the two indicators. He's really needing to see, OU kind of, uh, uh, excel out to kind of get above where they were. And I believe he had them like as a 22nd overall offense, and he hasn't, it's 22nd out of the 65 P5 teams. So it's closer to the, you know, it's closer to halfway there at that point in time. And he's just talked about just explosiveness. Like they were pretty, OU was pretty efficient uh, and they moved the ball decently. It's just that at times it was just, there wasn't anything downfield and Dylan Gabriel couldn't connect or wide receivers would drop the ball. They just didn't have that stuff. So it would be nice to see maybe two or three real big, nice big plays while maintaining that. You know, as Tyler Guyton says, seven yards to carry uh, that he's hoping to to achieve for this year. Well, it, like it's, that's interesting, just because like I kind of came away from last season thinking like, yeah, they they would miss on literal big play attempts. You know, they'd miss on some of them, and they they'd hit some of them. Um, my problem was whenever Dylan Gabriel would just miss a six yard throw on first down, or would take a sack on first down or take a sack on a first down. Then you're behind the chains at that point, and it just seemed like the offense would only move if they got a big play. So my thing is, like, 
they could carry over the same amount of big plays they had last year because they had a, a not OU offense standard enough, but they had a decent amount. What I want is be able to show the ability to score on drives that just don't look exciting. Like you're not going to see this drive on the highlight reel, like because he hits that six yard out route on first down and now it's second and three and then four yard run. And then just a whole bunch of that. And then you score on a two yard QB sneak on the goal line. Like I want to see some drives like that. Cause I feel like from last year, I didn't see a lot of that. It was just, there had to be a big throw. And then the offense runs down to the line of scrimmage. Like, Oh my God, we can run the no huddle. Oh my God, we're here. And then boom, boom, touchdown, you know, or they just took advantage of a, defense trying to like running back on its heels so i just want to see more consistency but i mean again i'm not saying no to big plays i just don't want that to be the only recipe for success yeah, yeah, yeah according not- to the beta rank sorry to step on you alan according to beta rank ou's two biggest issues were uh explosive plays and then negative plays getting sacked on first down uh, it's dylan gabriel then basically it sums up to can dylan gabriel get rid of the football and then can he connect downfield? Uh, it's like if those two things happen, this offense then makes leaps and bounds to a top 10 style offense that we're used to seeing uh, in Norman. Sorry about that, Alan. Oh, no, no problem. Not, but, you know, not to belabor the point, but like when OU really implemented the no huddle, like back, I'm talking like 2008, it was, it was very methodical and surgical. And yeah, there were big plays, but last year watching that i mean watching you really push the tempo or try to push the tempo it was so choppy you know that's that's the kind of thing that you know if there's a big play i want it to be not just oh we're gonna need to throw a 50 50 ball because we got to figure out get something going you know you want to see more precision in how they're executing Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere i do wonder it maybe just to help with that flow and stuff like that um if 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 levy would imp- implement something kind of like stanley at um at the chargers where it's like hey we're past the 40 this, this is now the green zone they call it like if it's anything under uh fourth and two we're automatically going for it so it's like we just decisions are already made before you have a chance before you have to make a decision or something like that to kind of clean up some efficiency um for that part of it um but that is a a later date and time let's talk about the depth chart brady we've mentioned it a couple times here we do have a you know if you're walking through you got dylan gabriel I think everyone <laughs> expected that. I think maybe a slight surprise if you're if you're really not super paying attention. Uh, Jackson Arnold uh, is next man up at that point in time. Uh, Davis Bevel is your third stringer. Then it gets weird with Marcus Major and Walker being your co-starters for running backs at that point in time. Uh, Matt, is there anything that you've seen on this depth chart that you've had a chance to look at uh, that really jumps off the page? Uh, it makes you think, oh, wow, this is interesting. Uh, what, what are some stuff? What, give, give us some of your knowledge, man. Um, the, the main thing that, that jumped out to me, uh, the Marcus Major 
stuff it, that doesn't surprise me. Um, Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk, I guess, have had injuries throughout the spring and fall. So I, I think that's more so why they're down. I think as the season moves along, you're going to see a lot more of of Barnes and Sawchuk. Um, but one of those ones that we had, I, I think the coaches were trying to tell us something. And we just weren't paying attention with Tawi Walker, man. Every time that DeMarco Murray speaks, he's talking about Tawi Walker. And it's, I think we all kind of shrugged it off as like, oh, okay, well, yeah, no, he's playing good in practice. Like, that's good for the walk-on, right? Good for the walk-on. He's impressing people. That's awesome. Didn't expect this. Did not expect this at all. The one that makes the sirens really go off is when you just go down the line of that tight end spot with Austin Stogner. And then after that, it's it's bare. And plus, you like, obviously, Caden Helms isn't on there. He's been injured for a long time now. Uh, but Jason Llewellyn, a guy that's a, a you know going to be a redshirt sophomore. I don't think he played in enough games to – um, to make himself a true sophomore yet, but guy that's on scholarship, not even on the depth chart, not even on the depth chart behind uh, Blake Smith, who had two catches at AM, Josh Faneuil, who was uh, playing basketball at Cameron, I believe, uh, last year, and then Cade McIntyre, true freshman. So uh, sirens definitely going up. And man, just with the way that they used Braden Willis last year, uh, especially in run blocking and run support, he was, he was awesome. And if, if they can't, replicate that then this this offensive line better be badass it better be badass if they want to run the football the way that they did last year alan what's up what's all this too deep that you see that maybe kind of surprises you or maybe gives you some promise uh maybe we're kind of like raising the uh raising the red flags here uh you know give, give me Sorry, some, didn't mean some to positives doom. out of this didn't mean to do this early yeah <laughs> yeah no nah, not do i mean uh, you know look man death charts uh so often are just about signaling, motivating, making sure that guys get their proper due respect. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm always a little bit hesitant to go too overboard. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the spot that seemed kind of strange, just looking at it to me was defensive end. Um, you know, because if you look at it, I mean, you got different, really different kinds of players, you know, group together in the two different spots. I mean, you know, I look at, you know, I mean, it looks like Ethan Downs, you know, I mean, you know, I look at him and Bothroyd and, and, and Grimes, I guess, as more kind of that five tech, like strong side guy that you, you'd want to have, you know, and if you're playing a four down look, but, you know, Bothroyd is on one side with R. Mason Thomas and uh, PJ uh, Adabari. You know, the other side, uh, you got Downs and Trace Ford getting the or nod there at, at the other spot, uh, then Grimes and Stripling below them. Um, not a good sign for Reggie Grimes, but, you know, not entirely unexpected. But, you know, I, I, I kind of think that you'd want more of like an R. Mason Thomas or uh, um, Trace Ford maybe coming from that kind of rush in type spot uh, off the weak side. That was that's the only thing that really stuck out to me. Um but the rest of it, I can't say that there were a whole lot of surprises. Yeah, that is something, you know, I, I think we've talked many times. I've had some preview people on, and when we talked to the defense, I had said, hey, the only issue I have uh, of concern is the linebacking position. That's something I've said for the last, like, month and a half now. Uh, now looking at this defensive line uh, depth chart, my concern has flipped to thinking 
is everything okay uh, up front, mainly due to what you said there? Because I was thinking, yeah, you've got your strong side. It's going to be all your 270 and pluses, and then you've got your more rush guy, and it's all your 250s. <laughs> but they're just kind of sprinkled all over the place. It doesn't seem like there is like a, a, a set thing, or it's set up in a way that maybe we're missing something. It's like, okay, no, it's Ethan Downs, or it's Trace Forward dependent on if they're facing you know five wide receiver lineup i mean something you know maybe there's some more flexibility baked into this depth chart that we're just not aware of or maybe not cognizant of um which is kind of interesting uh, a thing that pops out of me before i before i jump over to brady is a complete at this point in time redemption story of justin harrington going from off the team to back on the team to now starting the chief position which everyone had just said yeah, Deshaun McCullough, duh, obviously. And that's not even an or. That's Justin Harrington starting at Cheetah at that position, which is, you know, the key stone position for Brent Venable's um, uh, defense. You know, if they can't sign five-star defensive ends and five-star defensive tackles, because that's the only thing that makes the system work. Uh, that's something that's very interesting to me. It's, it's Justin Harrington's redemption story at that point in time. And then, like you said, the defensive ends just seem kind of, I don't know. It just seems unbalanced when you look at it. Maybe there's a larger picture that we're not seeing. And then the uh, wide receivers to me, uh, man, there's a lot of talk from Jaden Gibson just to be, <laughs> you know, third on, on his side of the field. Uh, stuff like that kind of going into it. But Brady, uh, what do you see when you see the uh, see the depth chart here? Well, the interesting thing about Justin Harrington is like, you know, they could – they. Obviously, they could fit the word or on the PDF file for the depth chart, but I guess for Cheetah, they couldn't fit Justin Harrington on obvious passing downs, and then <laughs> Desan McCullough will come up on short yardage situations or yeah. on early downs. So I guess that couldn't fit. Um, I mean, I'll echo like what Alan was talking about with the defensive end position, uh, just from like a skill set, um, like a variation standpoint. It's a little it's a little confusing to me, but again, it's a depth chart. It's a, it's the first game. I like, I don't know how many times we've seen a depth chart and then we get to, into the stadium and then the players are on the video screen and they're like, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And then a completely different human being walks out there on the first play. So, <laughs> so much is going to happen um, between now and 1104 AM on Saturday when we actually see players on the field for the first time for 2023. But um, I mean, to me, like an interesting thing is just going to be the linebacking rotation because I mean, Jaron yeah. Kanick as the unquestioned starter uh, at the Mike spot that that's surprising given what we knew about him last year, what the conversation was about him from Brent Venables, own mouth about extremely talented, still trying to figure it out. He is still trying to figure it out. And this is not a position that you can figure out in a summer and off season. Like it, this is a position that takes years to master and he doesn't have that luxury. He is learning on the fly, but um, it seems like he's soaked enough up to give Brent the uh, confidence that he can at least write his name down first on the depth chart for the starting position. But I mean, I mean, the big thing last year was, you know, the linebackers played every snap essentially because they just did not have the depth. They didn't have competitive depth and the kids like the Kobe McKenzie's, the Kip Lewis's, they didn't want to throw them out there to make them look foolish apparently. So, I mean, what are we going to see with Danny Stutzman in front of Kip Lewis, Lewis Carter, like the, the two guys that I expect to play. And I, I think very highly of um, Lewis Carter. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like, what are we going to see 
um, in terms of that. And I, 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 don't, I don't even think Danny Stutzman's just going to be the will. I think he's going to play a handful of snaps yeah. with Mike, you know, a handful of like different alignments and against different opponents with their offenses. So I, I'm really curious to see like what the meat of the linebacking core looks like game, what we can go basically expect going into game four, game five, game six, who are our two or three linebackers that uh, not including the cheetah position that we can depend on. And then of course, um, I mean, we can joke about Marcus major. Like when I saw that, I rolled my eyes so far into my fucking skull, but I get it availability, whatever. Um, but the, the interesting thing about Marcus major is he's often been unavailable himself yeah. for uh, multiple reasons, not just the bullshit. <laughs> oh, he's not been healthy guys. I know there are podcasts out there that just say that and they just co- went just conveniently missed the fact that he flunked or something and couldn't start. What was it? 2020. I think the beginning of that season um, when, you know, the jury was still out on him. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Javante Barnes and Gavin Sajek are going to rise to the top because they're just clearly better. Um, I'm interested in Tawi Walker because I've uh, liked what I've heard. His description makes me sound like, makes it sound like, I mean, Samaj P. Ryan in terms of the running style, in terms of um, falling forward, which is something P. Ryan was an expert at, just always getting the ball, um, moving the ball forward in a positive way. Um, receiving, I mean, I think, I think you mentioned it already, Peyton, with Jaden Gibson. Um, the one thing that really sticks out to me is just, is L.V. Bunkley Shelton going to make some type of impact? Because I would imagine him being behind uh, Andrew Anthony, he's going to have more than his opportunity to show it, show it on the field. And so I hope it's him because from what I saw of Jaden Gibson, I, I am not, I am not his biggest fan. Uh, yeah, it, that part of it is going to be interesting. This OU wide receiver rotation, who you know pops off, who becomes the guys. Uh, you know, OU still in search of a number one wide receiver out out of that position. Um, you know, is it going to be the uh, Andre? I mean, Anthony, uh, Andre Anthony. You know, at that point in time to kind of stretch the field or to kind of start moving people around. Because to me, it seems weird that you've got Farouk and you have Nick Anderson after Farouk. After we've, you know, I've heard that Nick is going to be this potentially the the field stretching guy while Farouk is there being the gadget guy. I mean, just it is all. I don't know how what even look at this uh, depth chart. I know Alan just basically said that earlier. Uh, it's like looking at tea leaves uh, to figure out what's going on at that point in time. But maybe to kind of get some uh, some stuff in here, Brett, Brett Venables did have his game you know in season press conference uh, earlier today to talk about some stuff and some of the things that popped off at that point in time that really kind of made me think about it was him talking about needing to be much more invested in the defensive side of the football uh, I, i'm not for sure uh I, i'll just toss it over to you alan do you think that's just a nice convenient way to say uh man that was said roof's defense last year anyway <laughs> i'm here now <laughs> being the the, the full-time dc as well uh because there was some obviously some talk of uh, from ted roof saying brent venables can override any call i make and you know and all uh, everything of, of that uh that note um do you think it really was that much of a, of a learning experience for brent venables when it came to the defense and you know kind of balancing the idea of dc and head coach yeah, you know, that was that part was kind of strange the way he worded. I mean, no, it's so rare that Brent Venables gives a simple answer, and that certainly mm-hmm. was not one, <laughs> you know. Um, I didn't really read that as I mean, well, let me back up. You know, I you hear coaches talk about like I remember Steve Spurrier, people asking him, like, well, are you gonna 
you know, hire an offensive coordinator? Are you going to call play? And he was like, you know, that's what got me this job was being, you know, calling plays. I'm not going to just turn that over. Um, Like, and that's, that's one way to look at it, right? Like actually coordinating things, but there's another, you know, I, I think another way to think about that though, is also just saying like my input makes us better on the here. And if, you know, if I mean that was kind of more the the way I took things because I mean the whole thing about you know well you know Brent can override Ted Roof on a call well yeah he's the head coach that's that's what he's there for so of, of course he can and my guess you know what my guess is if he doesn't like something that Jeff Levy calls he's probably going to override that too <laughs> so like that part I was just kind of like that's a nothing burger to me but um, you know I. That kind of fit though more with one of the the I think the most like kind of encouraging things parts of the of the press conference today, the stuff that I liked hearing was like Venables was basically just saying like people like he there was one point where someone asked him the game management question. He's like, I've been asked that so many times the past few months. Like, why do we keep we keep bringing this up? And his answer was we need to get better everywhere we've got to be more efficient doing everything and that was the part that like so when i think when he says like i need to be fully invested in the defense it's like you know you can't really skip past the basics or the foundation like you've got he he's make him contributing there is a good thing it makes the defense better and that's more important right now than oh how are you using your timeouts and what you know what about going forward on fourth down like doing the fundamental foundational things yeah i mean that's the point of it uh, you know last year we didn't see a team that like man if only brent called fourth downs better or called timeouts in a better situation they're 11 and one like, no you saw a bad football team that needed to grow up across the board uh, and yeah and that that did that point of it is interesting to kind of hear that uh brady was there anything from brent that you heard or maybe listened to maybe read about in this, this very qu- sh- short turnaround, you know, thank you, the, the blog sites uh, for doing the God's work uh, that, that give you, that's giving you some, uh, some ideas about where Brent is walking into game one. Well, I mean, it kind of came up with the whole Ted roof conversation of, um, y- you know, like h- how much control do you have? Cause like the, I get it. Like we all want to know, like, please just tell us you're calling the plays. Like we know you are just, will you just verbally say it? So it would just make us all feel better. Um, to me, it's just always going to come down to like game day um, coaching for Brent Venables because there are three facets to being an elite head coach. You recruit, you develop them, and then your game day decisions. And developing, we're not going to know for possibly, at the earliest, we'll know like we'll have a good idea this year, but really we won't really know until year three. And even that's going to have a caveat because, well, it's the first year in a new co- brand new conference and it happens to be the SEC. So how much can you really hold against him if guys haven't hit a certain mark? So, you know, it's, it's going to take a minute with development, but game day coaching, you know, there was a lot left to be desired. How much of that was within his control? We'll, we're never going to know. We can make our best guess according to the talent that he had. Um, it makes a lot of sense when he says things like, well, when we struggle to pick up a few yards, um, you know, in the early part of the season, like I'm probably not going to have the same confidence I had game four or five in game eight, nine, and 10, uh, to do to attempt to do the same thing. So that all makes sense to me and it looks good or bad in hindsight. So, um, basically 
when it comes to Ted Roof, we know what Brent Venables is doing. Um, to me, it just really comes down to in those moments, and they no doubt will present themselves in those moments where the offense is not only hurting itself, but hurting the team in terms of the pace, in terms of the tempo, in terms of just the game control or the feel. Does Brent like get on the phone and say, you need to hand the fucking ball off now? I don't care what you want to do. I am the head coach. You do what I say, hand the ball off. It's not working with Dylan. You're not wanting to run him. Jackson's not out there for whatever, like run the ball. Just give the guys a rest so that we can regain control of this game. Um, I want to see stuff like that, but we're not going to know until, you know, a little bit further into the season. So, you know, you're not going to learn that much from an initial press conference like this because we don't really know what to ask. The media doesn't really know what to ask. So, um, yeah, like it just really comes down to game day coaching with me with Brent. Matt, I'm going to do my very best to make sure we we keep this on the topic every single week. Uh, Brent Venables made a statement. Um, The number two quarterback is Jackson Earl, did not shy away from that, has the five-star freshman quarterback solidly at the number two spot, not doing any sort of shenanigans of like hiding it, not trying to hide away from it or anything, anything of that nature. Just put the second best quarterback on the team as the number two guy, not doing anything where it's like, well, it's going to be David, you know, it's going to be Bevel. If a couple of things happen, then, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll bring from the start Jackson's number two. He's our guy. Uh, you have other, have other coaches. I think last year Sark didn't put out a depth chart because it would cost too much locker room drama. And then even Saban this year, taking a page out of Sark's book and not releasing a depth chart because he says it would cause too much distraction uh, to, to do something of that nature. Um, but yeah, Brent there, leaning into kind of like, it's not even that much, of, it's not a controversy at any point in time, but leaning into the five-star quarterback sitting right here, even saying, uh, I think Dylan Gabriel, this is his last year, even though technically, yeah. I think he could get one more. <laughs> but they've all said he's gone after this year. It seems like there's been an agreement there. Um, is I don't know, is that just cool to see Brent basically put it all out there like that when you've got other coaches like, not even announcing who their punter is. <laughs> uh, I think it's cool, but I think it was a no brainer. Like, I think it was, it was a no brainer. The fan base would have been up in, up in arms. They would have been up in arms, ready to, <laughs> ready to burn it down. Even if the depth chart came out with an or, or anything like that. Like now, if, if half, even half the stuff of what we've heard of Jackson Arnold, this camp is true. Then there's just there's no question who <laughs> the guy is behind Dylan Gabriel, but and let, even let, then we saw what Jackson happened punt. last year. <laughs> let Jackson punt. Let Get Jackson. On the field. <laughs> yeah. Let Jackson stand out there uh, as a wideout while everyone runs the wildcat. Let's let's do that. Actually, have, have him have him take those old timey football player pose pictures where they're like kicking their leg up in the air, arms are up yeah. in the air, like <laughs> like oh he's Daryl Royal he can do it all. <laughs> Former super yeah, no, great by the way. There's, I mean, I guess credit to him, but it was a no-brainer. Like he's obviously better than Davis Bevel. We all we all saw it last year. We don't even have to see Jackson Arnold. We could see one pass from Jackson Arnold in the spring game and know that he's better than Davis Bevel. You're not. He's not fooling anybody. Does he get Does he get booed if we're kicking someone's ass so hard and the third string quarterback comes out there? It's just like I can't watch this. Yes. <laughs> At this point, just throw General Booty yeah. out there. Screw the depth chart. I don't care. Just throw General Booty. <laughs> that dude get on. 
that dude can't get on the field again, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> if yeah, happen. if he gets if it gets so bad to where a third stringer is supposed to get in, I think you see Jackson Arnold just hand the ball off. Like <laughs> that's it at that point in time. Uh, I do want to ask one final question that kind of sums up um, depth chart, all uh, press conference, all that stuff. And it's going to be to Allen, and it's probably a quick answer. Uh, so Oklahoma's obviously playing Arkansas State, a 35-point favorite at that point in time. We're not expecting this to be a football game in which we should have any sort of drama or tension over other than let's see how well these guys look running wind sprints. Um, but if OU had to play you know, a showcase-style week one, you know, uh, Oklahoma versus Florida State, Oklahoma versus LSU, something of that nature, is this depth chart different at a couple spots in your mind? Or is this depth chart... Um, uh, somewhat a reality that they're playing a team of, of the caliber of Arkansas State, and so Brent can get away of maybe sending a couple of messages across up and down the depth chart. The depth chart would not be different uh, if they were playing a showcase game. The deployment of the personnel uh, very well would be different, if I had to guess. Okay. Okay. All right, moving on. Uh Finally, good news for Oklahoma uh, on the recruiting front. David Stone commits. Uh, Oklahoma finally gets a five-star defensive tackle for the first time since uh, Gerald McCoy, maybe something of that nature. I can't quite remember. Uh, but a long, long, long time. Uh, they finally got it done. There's a lot of drama that seemed to be manufactured. Uh, if you, Depending on who you're listening to, Miami had them. Uh, or if you're listening to people who have relatively high uh, bullshit rate of uh, uh, meters is basically he's doing this because he's picking OU and he's picked OU for the last two years. He's just trying to get some drama for his hat selection because people like having the spotlight on them. You cannot blame them for that. But Brady, Oklahoma is now setting down the tracks of getting back online of what it takes to be a dominant football team. And as you're walking to SEC, you have to keep doing this. This is why, you know, uh, if, o, if OU finishes out with Stone, uh, Nigel, Jaden Jackson, uh, the Tulsa kid, and maybe even some in a far shot, they get the uh, Louisiana defensive tackle. I would still consider that an A. They've done it. You've got A, you got a 95. I don't see an A plus because getting A plus means you got the Missouri kid because you have to get every single bit of talent on your defensive line as humanly possible. And that means they wouldn't have done it because they let someone get away. But this is a step and obviously a step in the right direction. Part of program building, and I think maybe you've mentioned it, Brady, you know, Brent could very well be part of, if not, you know, I don't know, at the top of the best Oklahoma head coach recruiters very soon if he's able to pull these guys off. Where are you with David Stone just maybe as beyond just who he is as a player, but maybe it's like a program setting type of a thing as OU tries to transition to a more football style, uh, defensive style program, unlike what Mike Stoops was saying is that they became more of an offensive identity of a program. That fucking idiot. I wonder whose fault that was. Um, no, like I, I certainly understand kind of the um, the letdown from not getting Williams Winery to verbally commit to OU one week. And then the next guy, the next domino to potentially fall is David Stone. When, you know, for the last year, at least, you know, if you barely follow recruiting, you have just kind of been under the safe assumption that, yeah, he's going to pick OU. So there's, don't waste your time, like worrying about this. He likes to drum up some drama for the, the engagement, the interactions, you know, NIL, whatever, you know, he likes to do all that on social media. Don't listen to it. He's, he wants to go to OU, so don't worry about it. Um, 
but after you know Williams Winery picked Missouri, you tend to think like, oh, the sky is falling. We cannot sign five star defensive linemen for one reason or the other. They always go to another secondary school for some reason. Um, or you kind of find yourself going, well, I mean, this is kind of a dud because we've wa- like we've known that he's going to go to OU. At the same time, though, dude, he's good. He is exactly what OU has needed for the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years. Um, put some respect on Jamarcus McFarland's name. He was an okay player. He was a five-star recruit, according to some service. Uh, but we've heard a lot about this is the best D lineman recruit since Gerald McCoy. Certainly true. Um, some people have even gone back as far as Tommy Harris. Um, and I hope that that's true. But even from an optic standpoint, which is what recruiting 100% is, OU finally got that monkey off their back. They signed a top tier interior defensive lineman um, that every school in the country absolutely wanted. And that's something that this school and this program has been unable to do uh, for the longest, longest time. And so now it just really comes down to um, getting some wins on the field, showing some development um, with the players currently on the roster. And who knows, like if a Jordan Lulu goes through that off season regiment and that transformation and he performs well on the field and gets drafted, that is huge because you can just sell that. Like this guy that nobody knew about is a friend, could be a fringe NFL player because we had this, you know, meal, diet, nutrition, strength and conditioning plan. And this is what he turned into. Now, you know, David Stone, Dominic Kinley, like guys like who have the talent platform as you guys, imagine what you can do with this program. So no more of this, oh, you can't do it. They finally done it. Now, of course, you know, signing day is still a long time away. You know, things can happen, I guess. Uh, but David Stone getting here is huge. It's the equivalent of when you sign a top-tier quarterback, they usually attract other talented players to uh, look your way, especially players that you may not have been recruiting in the first place. Like, oh, you know, this is what happens when you get a top-tier quarterback. David Stone's that type of player. And he has the type of personality that can really help kind of re-engage the defensive side of the ball if it hasn't been already and just give it a new identity. So um, that's a lot of pressure for a young man, um, no doubt. But um, you're you're not a five-star recruit. You're not that level of talent if you can't handle that pressure. David Stone certainly can. So um, I'm excited. Like, I I was excited when he said Oklahoma. Um, It was just nice to finally hear that. Matt. How was the how are the airwaves going when that finally got announced? I, I know there was some, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of back and forth uh, with insiders from the, what happened with the Missouri kid. Um, you know, we had some uh, insiders kind of getting uh, dunked on social media and everything like that. I'm assuming there were the airwaves were a, a buzz for wanting their pound of flesh, uh, but OU was able to kind of calm those storms, at least from a media member's perspective. Uh, what was it like on the airwaves, you guys uh, covering the David Stone uh, commitment? Yeah, man, people were obviously excited. Like, obviously, um, I think I think we had, like, two texters in basically, like, the exact same time frame be like, yeah, it was awesome. I was watching David Stone commit while USC had to punt tied 7-7, right? <laughs> like, all this stuff, like, it was great, yeah. So I, I think that, and obviously the fan base gets even more juiced when obviously the kid's from Oklahoma, too, so... I, I still consider him a, an okay preps kid, hashtag okay preps. Um, so that is just another 
another level. And it's one of those that I was very happy that he committed not only for like OU's football program, but just like my sanity as well. Cause I think the fan base would have been just, it, I wouldn't have been, we wouldn't be able to talk about anything else. It would have been just the sky is absolutely falling. So shout out to uh, Todd Bates, Miguel Chavis, Brent Venables, all those guys for, uh, for closing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. OU's able to kind of put that one to bed finally. And you've got other guys who are supposed to happen or potentially happen. Um, you know, if, if things were to fall out in the right way uh, in shape for OU moving forward on the recruiting side, uh, it feels weird to talk about recruiting when we actually have uh, college football to talk about. So I do want to get uh, Alan's perspective on week zero. Alan, we had Notre Dame, we had USC, Showtime, stages all to themselves. Uh, Notre Dame comes out, in my opinion, plays a- against a team and beats a team in which they were supposed to. Uh, Sam Hartman does look good. Um, all of their wide receivers look like tight ends, <laughs> which is interesting to me. I don't know if anyone's actively fast or not. Uh, but my thoughts on Notre Dame is that they have a three-game uh, season against Clemson, Ohio State, and uh, USC. Basically, everything boils down to those three games, and they have to win two, two of them if they want to be legitimate contenders. And then USC, I do want to do something here that may get me booed off the stage. The defense did look like an Alex Grinch defense, but I believe 150 or some of those yards did come in pure garbage time. <laughs> they do count at the end of the day. <laughs> they do count. Uh, but the game was very much so put to bed when a lot of that yardage and stuff was put uh, was gained on them at the end of it. Now some big plays right before half and stuff to kind of score another touchdown. Those are just, you know, basically what a Grinch defense does nowadays. And um, basically you kind of think in my mind, man, if they hadn't gotten Mace Cobb, uh, what happens to the defense? Because he was like the only like player. <laughs> it seemed like they had at that point in time uh, on that defense. But Alan, what were your thoughts of uh, Week Zero? You got Notre Dame, USC. I mean, I don't know. Do you have any other sicko uh, <laughs> thoughts of some of the other games that were going on? Um, well, I think the Notre Dame. That's how you want OU to look on uh, Saturday. They were they were sharp, very precise. Uh, really just dice Navy up Navy. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to go overboard talking about Hartman or anything, because I think Navy could be really, really bad this year, but um, you want your team to come out there and smoke a team like that. Um, as for USC, I mean, just kind of the, it felt like watching the same thing we've watched for a long time. Uh, you know, I mean, Williams is otherworldly good at this point. Like it's, it's it sucks to, <laughs> to watch it and think like he could have been wearing an OU uniform, but um, I think that, I, I mean, I think you're right. I don't think the defense, I think the defense was better, which is kind of like, you know, I mean, you know, a D plus is better than a D. I mean, you know, so yeah, I mean, they've got some better players there. I think Cobb, you know, is going to get a chance on a bigger stage to really make a name for himself. I think you're right about that. Uh, Bear Alexander, you know, I mean, he actually was fairly disruptive, uh, made some good plays. I think one thing to keep an eye on um, for USC, though, going forward, I mean, first off, I mean, I don't think the defense is going to improve dramatically, uh, but will be better. But the offensive line, keep an eye out there because, um, you know, San Jose State was able to get some heat on Williams and you know, I mean, he's a phenomenal athlete. He's great, you know, escaping, uh, you know, is very elusive, but I mean, those hits add up after a while, you know, and especially in the year when he's probably going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, you know, I mean, 
it would, you know, I just, I think that he himself will probably be fairly cautious with his health. Yeah, that seems to be the best bet of the, like basically how I think about those games. It's hard to pull anything out of this. And it's going to be hard to pull anything out of OU and Arkansas State. Uh, but I am now handing over the hosting duty over to Brady to take the take the show to the end. I'm about to jump on an uh, interview with Kara Ritchie. We'll talk about the Arkansas State Red Wolves. So if you're a Patreon member, uh, this coming Friday, you'll be able to hear from her, talk about the players you should be looking for on this Arkansas State team as reference to how OU should be covering them or defending them, which may give you a good pulse for how this defense or offense is performing. Uh, but uh, Brady, take her away. I'll see you guys uh our next recording boomer thank you thank you Peyton um yeah I think the most uh I think the um probably the the best thing for USC um was I mean Alan they got they got to within 14 right and then Xavier Branch had that kickoff return and put it back to 21 um I think the best thing was that happened uh because USC could have potentially gone you know three and out or you know given the ball back San Jose State could have marched down the field on third downs only, exclusively, and scored. <laughs> got it within seven. And if it had got to seven, I think that's when Caleb Williams's hamstring would have been hurt, because uh, that seems to be when he gets hurt. Is oh no, there's like oh I I need to LeBron James this and have a built-in kind of narrative to explain what's going on. But you know I, we fortunately got to miss that. But yeah, there's really nothing you can really say about USC other than. Um, it's a lot of the same, like you said, Alan. It is exactly add, what I expected. You know? Yeah. I mean, um, exactly. Yeah, and, and I he just still kind of, can't cover big point spreads. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Lincoln yeah. Riley still cannot cover big point spreads. You know, like I just kind of assumed, like San Jose State, San Diego State, those programs will have like one or two guys that are pretty damn good, like skill position guys, whether they be a receiver, um, or a quarterback that maybe not be he may not be the most talented passer, but he could have a dual threat element to his game. I assume that that would be the the case for San Jose state. And I'm like, I don't know who that person is. Whoever it is, is going to feast. And it happened to be the quarterback happened to be that one receiver who caught two or three touchdowns. Um, so not, not very good. Um, but I, I'll ask like, you know, Alex Grinch's best defense at OU was 2019's. Um, let's see. Kenneth Murray better comparable or worse than mason cobb you better go better i'm gonna better. say better he was a first Cert- round pick okay yeah. he was a first round pick i, I mean don't know. just yeah certainly more capable more talented who would have been like 2019 d lineman because i i wanted i wanted to say perry on winfrey comparable better or worse than uh bear alexander and again I'll, I'll stress like don't worry about like nfl prospects or um Bear was at Georgia and whatever star he was like, he transferred for a reason, you know, and he chose USC for a reason. Um, I just, I don't know what you can really expect from two solid to good players individually on a defense. So I don't know what to expect with USC other than if a lot happens like it did last year, where you have the opponent just say, here, take the ball. I don't want it. We don't want it right now take it if that happens they'll be fine and win 9 10 11 games but it, i don't think that'll happen again but uh gents um i, I guess uh, we, we can wrap this up in a bow um i guess as of right now um the only like we kind of already touched on recruiting um if there is any recruiting news rumors uh dominant mckinley has apparently 
gone from a Texas lock to, oh my God, Jaden Jackson 2.0. Could OU be in on this? Uh, there are some rumors swirling that uh, Dominic McKinley, the five-star defensive lineman out of Lafayette, Louisiana, who will be committing on Friday around three o'clock, I believe, you know, sometime in the afternoon, we will know. Uh, it's coming down to OU and Texas A&M. Um, we don't need to really get into the ins and outs of that, guys, but I'll, I'll just kind of leave this open to you guys. If Brent is able to swing Dominic McKinley, is he the second best recruiter in school history? Like, like already, like with respect to like Bud Wilkinson, it was a, just a much different landscape. And like, there's really no way to quantify recruiting on a, like across the country board. Um, he certainly brought in amazing, great talent, uh, no doubt. But, you know, recruiting, once it kind of became somewhat covered, you know, was the Switzer air on and it just got progressively better and better. Um, Switzer is the unquestioned king of recruiting in OU football. Uh, Bob had his successes, but he also, I mean, we don't need to get into that. Lincoln Riley was, I get good quarterback and then everything else follows suit. Right. And it either worked or it did not. Um, John Blake, you got to give him credit. He recruited basically the, the 2000 national championship team. He's a, he was a phenomenal recruiter, but guys like if Brent gets Dominic Kinley, and you look at his initial recruiting class, last year's recruiting class, and what this one could potentially be. I mean, what what does that make you guys think? I think that if he does, then he gets to wear Barry Switzer's uh, fur coat. <laughs> he gets to wear Barry Switzer's fur coat to all these, all of his recruiting trips, anything like that. Lincoln uh, Lincoln's the transfer portal goat. He's the transfer goat for sure. Um, but yeah, Barry Switzer's up there for for Brent. Yeah, I would say. Now, and this is me just, I'm trying to like rack my brain. I know Bob had a, a bunch of good ones, right? I know he had a bunch of good ones, but then also like it was the five stars that didn't pan out with Bob. Right? It's like the, yeah. the RJ Washington, you know, all that stuff, all, all those guys. But then, you know, you'd have a, a three-star Sam Bradford come in and win the Heisman trophy, like all of that stuff. So he had, he had like all the good, like, um, I don't know what you just underdog stories. Bob had un, all the good underdog stories there. Um, so I don't know. I, I would think Brent. Yeah, I think that's fair. He gets to wear Barry's fur coat on recruiting trips from now on. Yeah. You know, uh, John Blake was on game day, maybe the worst coach that has ever walked the sidelines of an FBS program. I have never seen a team that was worse. I mean, like just in terms of prepared, you know, execution, all of it, terrible. He was also an outrageous recruiter, not just at OU, at Nebraska, at places like North Carolina. The guy was an animal on the recruiting trail. He's the number two behind Barry Switzer. Venables, though, I mean, clearly he's got plenty of room to uh, to grow here. And on top of that, I mean, he made big investments in building a staff that can really recruit. And I mean, it's hard. I mean, you know, they're what are they? They're not selling anything right now in terms of success on the defensive side of the ball. And you know, I mean, it's easy to say, "Oh, David Stone, local kid, blah blah blah." Well, I mean, he's played at IMG. You know, the, uh, he's a great defensive tackle prospect. It's not like other defensive players haven't left the state before uh, in just the past five years. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, 
yeah, I would, I'd certainly put him up there. Um, you know, he'll, he's knocking on John Blake's door. I, I think. I mean, to that, I mean, it's a wonderful hot take. I would love to read like a deep dive comparison between like John Blake's recruiting and where it ranks. Um, but I, I think the di- biggest difference that we could say between what Brent could potentially do with this class and what he's basically already done with this class. We know that some of the players that are going to commit in the next few weeks, like there, it's not really that much of a well-kept secret. Um, so even if it, even if it's not Dominic Kinley, it's still, I think you can, he's still in the conversation because with John Blake, you're thinking of players that became amazing because I mean, what would Rocky Kalmus had been a four star at best? Where was he out of Clinton? Or he nah, was... he was jinx. He was a four was star. A yeah, yeah, he was a four star. Yeah, blue chip. Yeah, four star. Um, Brandon Jacobs was a was an athlete that ended up being a receiver returner. Brandon, bro, Brandon Daniels. Yeah, or yeah. Brandon Brandon Daniels. Um, you know, a lot of those players became great. I don't know if they would have necessarily been highly recruited, um, like in terms of their ranking, like it is now, but it's just much more scientific now. Like, I don't know if he was going to be getting the David stones or the dominant McKinley's or the Nigel Smith's, um, of that era, you know, like the biggest recruiting story that I could remember from John Blake was, Oh, you almost got a Keely Smith. So that alone, like that Keely Smith in college was amazing. Like, don't think about Cincinnati Bengals. Um, that alone, considering how bad OU was really should tell you how good of a recruiter John Blake was, but yes, terrible game day coach. Um, gentlemen, any, uh, final thoughts before we get into Saturday? Are there any games on Friday, anything to look forward to any, any Thursday games? Like is the big 12 preemptively getting ready for that Friday night, uh, market? That's a good question, right? I think I know that Utah, Florida is on Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, that should be pretty good. Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah, and then like Friday, Friday's kind of yeah, and then I mean then it really picks up though. I mean Saturday's good, and Sunday, I mean you know with uh, LSU and Florida State, that's uh, probably the game of the weekend, you know. Then what? Clemson Duke is on Monday too. I think that. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that would be a bad game. No. It's gonna be exciting, guys. Football is finally here. OU football has returned to uh, either make us happy make us insane, make us upset. It'll give us something to talk about. It'll make through the keyhole a little bit more fun than it's already been for the last handful of months. I want to say thank you to um, all the patrons that have uh, joined recently. We've had a handful of patrons join in the last few weeks, no doubt getting excited for football, just like we are. Just want to tell you guys, thank you. We truly appreciate that. Um, Welcome to the fun, uh, to the crazy train. So hopefully you guys interact with us to let us know if we're doing a good job. If you want to see some stuff in particular, if you want to see more or less of something, let us know. Like we're, we're all ears. We're, um, this is not a set in stone formula. So we're all about trying new things. Um, and to the uh, patrons and the friends that have stuck around for the longest time, you know, thank you to you all as well, making the uh, summer months where there's nothing to talk about a little bit more fun to uh, put out some content for you guys. And hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, also want to point, point out our uh, sponsors i know there's a new fancy uh beer out there for uh ou um but always give vanessa house a shout they love ou football too and it's fun and the beer is really good um oklahoma city automobile alley you know where it's at go check it out i'll tr- we'll try and be there on sunday for the post game pod um check out check us out guys patreon.com slash through the keyhole for more ou content for some exclusive through the keyhole ou content 
uh, that we cannot share publicly. You know, that's all going to be there. Um, Alan, anything to look forward to in the uh, until Saturday? Yeah, tomorrow. Uh, normally, my brother and I do a uh, you know uh, supporters only podcast, uh, handicapping college football, our, our favorite college football gambling picks of the week. Uh, we can't actually do an episode this week, so I will have a written version for everyone tomorrow. But look for that uh, coming up coming out on Wednesdays this season. Sexy, Matt. What we know you're on the franchise from three to six with Tyler Neal. But what about game day? When can we expect to hear your luscious voice? Uh, game days usually uh, for the eleven a.m. games. It'll be seven to nine a.m. So this, uh, yeah, this upcoming Saturday, seven to nine a.m. Then we'll hand it off to uh, Toby Rowland and the whole crew. They'll take you up till the game, man. You guys still doing Twin Peaks for road games? Uh, we are not. No, no, just just in studio for for road games. We've moved Twin Peaks to uh, the Fridays before the game. So Fridays before the games will be at Twin Peaks. So uh yeah, come on out to Twin Peaks. Three to six on uh Fridays for home games will be at the one on Memorial off the Turnpike. For away games will be on the one at uh on I forty in Rockwell. Looking forward to it. Everybody, thank you so much uh for listening to this episode of Through the Keyhole. We'll be back um with another podcast on Sunday with the post game pod on Patreon and then we will be back uh, rounding out our thoughts for Arkansas, the Arkansas State game next Tuesday following Brent Venables' press conference. This is the new schedule, everyone, if you haven't picked up on it. Uh, thank you to Matt Burton. Thank you to Alan Kennedy. And shout out to Peyton Guthrie for hosting the first part of the show and going off to do a completely different podcast episode. We appreciate his help as well. But everybody, uh, thank you for listening as always. Matt, please do the thing. Boomer. Sooner.